God may be giving you a test of faith. Is God first in your life? Is he above your job? Your desire for power, prestige, influence? The Lord will provide, Abraham said. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Are we making ourselves available to God, who is the great provider? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, we began to look at the ways God provides everything we need. But sometimes the greatest hindrance is making ourselves truly available to Him. A great example is the story of how Abraham and Sarah waited on God to provide a son. Here's David with the second part of his message called Availability. Abraham said to his young men, he took two servants with him along with Isaac, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. We're going to go on top of the mountain. Our major responsibility is to worship because I want God to know he is first in my life. And if he continues to ask me to sacrifice my son in the primeval law of progeniture, here's what I believe, and come again to you. You could easily add the first person plural, we, we will come again to you. Here's what Abraham believed. Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac was the one that God, you promised me, not Ishmael, through whom all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. This child. And I believe with all my heart, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to bring together your holiness for my sin that needs to be satisfied but also your love which wants to forgive me. I don't know how you're going to do that on that altar, but if that knife does plunge into Isaac and he dies, I believe you will somehow raise him from the dead. We will come back to you. The author of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, believed this too when he wrote these words, looking at Abraham amidst all the other great saints of faith in the Old Testament. He says this about Abraham, by faith, Abraham, when he was, what? Tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham, when he marched up Mount Moriah with Isaac, said to his servants, we will be back because he believed this was the child of promise. But dad, where's the lamb? You're the lamb and you're gonna kill me? And Abraham goes, but he promised. Another way of saying the same thing is, you're the promise. You're the promise. And he believed in faith that God would even raise him from the dead if he needed to. God will provide a lamb, Abraham said. God will do something. God is able. He's the God of the impossible. Somehow on the mount, his holiness and his love will come together, which leads to the last scene, God's intervention in verses 9 through 12. The altar is built after Isaac's the one who carries the wood up the mountain. The altar is built. And Isaac was probably a teen a teenager, well-built, well-muscled, and his 100-year-old dad tries to get him on the altar, I think his first reaction was, wait a minute, old man. Wait a minute. I'm not getting on that thing. 
And then the dad says, but there's a promise. And then Isaac willingly submits to his father and gets on the altar. The knife is raised. Here is the denouement, as the French call it, of the scenario. Here's the climax of the scene. And as the knife is getting ready to be plunged downward, a voice from heaven says, Abraham, Abraham. He responds, here I am. And the voice says, don't kill the boy. Don't kill the boy. And now I know that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I know that I am first in your life. I know there are no idols in your life. And and here's what's so fascinating. Did you notice that the voice was not God's voice? The voice was the angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? Some people think it may have been Michael, one of the archangels, one of the most powerful angels. I don't think so. I think this is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who appeared to Abraham knowing that Golgotha, Calvary, was just the next mountain over. Why do I believe that? Because his words to Abraham were, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It was God who was asking Abraham to sacrifice. So the second person of the deity, the father The son, Jesus, appears to Abraham and stops him from plunging the knife forward. Now, I'm getting ready to send a spiritual chill up your spine. Is anybody ready to get that right now? In John, the eighth chapter, verse 56, Jesus says to the Jews, your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Whoa. How did Abraham see the day of Jesus? Could it be that on that mount, when the incarnate Jesus stopped him from plunging the knife downward, he gave Abraham a vision of Golgotha, that mount right next door, where he would be like Isaac, God's son, his only beloved son, who was willing to give his life so that all of us, by grace, could have eternal life. That at that moment, Abraham received from the pre-incarnate angel of the Lord, Jesus, a vision of what Jesus was going to do some thousands of years later. Isn't that cool? To think that God gave Abraham that vision of what Jesus was gonna do. Because think for a moment, folks, about the substitutionary atonement The whole idea of God providing a ram to die instead of Isaac. The ram's blood shed instead of Isaac's. John the Baptist looking at Jesus in John 129 saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The place of Jesus on that cross instead of us. Just think about it. It was Isaac, Abraham's son, his only son, whom he loved so much. Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son whom he loved so much. The three-day trip that on the third day, God did something spectacular in salvation like the resurrection. That Isaac carried the wood as Jesus carried the cross up Calvary to be nailed to it. That as Isaac initially may have shrunk back from getting on the altar, eventually he said, no, Father, I want your will, not mine. 
Jesus, struggling with Golgotha, said in the garden, Father, I want your will, not mine. And in that powerful verse in Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, and Jesus did not think equality with God was something to be grasped. He did not grasp his deity, though he had every right to it as the son. He took on human flesh and went to the cross and willingly, in obedience to the Father, gave his life on the altar for us. Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary, and God provided what was necessary for salvation, the ram. Have you ever thought about this? There are really only two ways of salvation. You can either work your way to it or God has to do it for you. And I would suggest for those of you who are spiritual skeptics and exploring the faith, think about this that every other world's religion except one says, we know there's something deeply wrong with our hearts and sin. We know that we continually screw up, we continually mess up, there's shame and guilt in our hearts. So the question is, how does that get satisfied? Every other world's religion suggests we have to work hard to achieve the holiness of God in our hearts. With great respect to the Islamic faith, it believes that there's an angel on each one of our shoulders and every day, those two angels are counting up your good deeds and your bad deeds. At the end of your life, you appear before Allah, and you hope it's 5149. You hope, and you don't know until that day. It's works. I've got to work to be righteous, holy in the sight of God. Judaism believes the same thing, obedience to the law. Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, they all believe in karma. What's karma? Karma believes you get what you deserve. And if you live a good life, you're reincarnated to a higher life form. If you live a bad life, you're reincarnated to a lower life form. Bottom line, it's works. And I work hard to try to achieve perfection. And against all of those other world's religions stands one that says, you can never be holy enough by your works. That if you are under God's holy judgment, you will be forever cast from his presence. But then at some place, there's got to be a way for the justice of God and the love of God to come together. And we Christians believe that's found in the cross of Christ. Where Jesus left heaven by God's asking him to do so, put on human flesh because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He didn't have this sin problem, this bentness towards selfishness that all of us have. And he lived the perfect righteous life we could never live. Every act was in a perfect obedience to the God where we've always failed. Then he went to the cross, the cross we deserve, taking our place that we deserve, and then giving us his righteousness, his forgiveness before the Father, not based on what we do because we can never do enough, but based solely on grace through faith. One of those is true. Either I can be holy by my works or I have to receive it as a gift from God. I can either do it or it has to be done for me. It's one of the two. Abraham is a prefiguring, a foreshadowing, a typology of the cross of Christ, showing that God provides the ram. God provides the lamb. God provides Jesus who takes our place in substitution, sheds his blood that should have been our blood shed and now gives us eternal life by grace 
through faith. If this is true, dear friends, there are two implications, two applications that I'd like to leave with you today. First of all, if you want to build your faith and to believe like Abraham believed, somehow God will provide. Belief in the provision of God is directly connected to who God is, the character of God. And I would invite you to look at all of the names of God throughout the Bible. They'll build your faith. One name, Jehovah Nissi. God is my banner. God is my warrior. God fights my battles for me. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jehovah Rapha, God is my healer. He still heals physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. Jehovah Shammah, God is there. God is my presence. He goes before me. He goes behind me. By Jesus, he lives in me, with me, through me. Jehovah Sidkenu, God is my righteousness, not by my works, but given to me as a free gift by grace through faith. Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. God is my fullness of life. Everything I need is supplied in provision by him. Jehovah Sabaoth. Some of you think, oh, that means God of the Sabbath. We just love God on Sundays, and that's all we need to do, right? Sabaoth means the God of hosts. What does that mean? It means the God of angel armies. It means the God who controls the millions upon millions of angels he created, who according to the scripture are at the beck and call of all of God's people whenever we may need them. Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the angelic armies of heaven, are the most underutilized, potent force of the believer in Jesus Christ. We don't call upon them because we don't think of God as the Lord of hosts, but he is. He's the God of angel armies. Call upon him, folks, when you need his angelic help. But also the Bible says he's Jehovah Jireh. What does that word mean? God is my provider. It's the name here in the last verse. The Lord will provide, Abraham said, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. If you want to believe God will meet your every need, Philippians 4.19 will be the verse that we look at all throughout this series. It reads, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I looked up the word every this week. Guess what it means? It means every that God has promised for his children, he will provide every need we have, not our greeds, but every need we have according to Jesus' bank account in heaven, not ours. He's promised that. But we have to have faith in the character of God that he is Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. Second, God may be giving you a test of faith. Is God first in your life? Is he above your job, your desire for power, prestige, influence? Do you love God more than your children? Have you made children into your idol? How do you know if God is first? Let me give you this quick insight. Look at your time, your talents, and your treasures. Be honest with each one of those three that God has given you is God first. With your time, look at your week. How much time do you spend making God first? With your talents that he's loaned you, 
You have certain talents that I don't have. I have certain talents you don't have. Question. With the talents that God has loaned you, whatever they are, do you use them to place him first in your life? Your treasures. Okay. Now I'm going to get to meddling in your life, okay? That's your money. His money that he's loaned you. The law of the tithe in the Bible is the law like primogenitor and the firstborn son. The law of the tithe in the Bible is the first 10% before you spend anything else goes to God and his work. I believe that's the local church. I think the tithe is the training wheels for learning generosity under grace. People ask me all the time, wait a minute, the tithe's Old Testament. We live under grace. Well, then why is it that the American Christian on an average gives 2% of his or her income away? If we live under grace, shouldn't we give more than a law-driven Jew in the Old Testament? Moreover, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, you should tithe. That settles it for me. But more so, it really is a question of first fruits. Do you spend God's money he's loaned you mostly on yourself, then give God the leftovers? Or is the first gift you give to his work with your treasures that shows your heart believes he's first? God will constantly test us to make sure he's first. My prayer is that we all will pass the test. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio for an insightful conversation about this morning's e-devotion. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bud? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you, Moments of Hope, and just this couldn't be, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And, you know, uh, the, the first call we made uh, when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the Moments of Hope. And it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes. And so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom. And not only that, but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just 
pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jen. Great to be with you. Well, in this morning's e-devotion, you gave us some really good counsel about criticism. Will you share some of those thoughts with our listeners? I will, Jen. Um, You know, having been in ministry now for over four decades, uh, there are times when I'll say something that people don't like, and there have been times through the years that I have received an anonymous letter from somebody. They'll give a criticism, but not sign it. And I think it was my dad who gave me this counsel years ago. He said, if they don't have the courage to sign it, you shouldn't have the time to read it. Hmm. And, and that's the message I wanted to give to everybody today. If you get anonymous criticism, don't take it seriously. Just don't even read it. Throw it away. Because if somebody doesn't have the courage to sign their name to a critical letter, then you shouldn't have this time to read it. Now, if they do sign their name, I think you should read it. I think you should try to ask the question, is there any truth to this? And if there is, try to imbibe it and make it a part of your life so that you can change. But if there is no truth in it, then you can throw it away as well. But if somebody doesn't have the courage to sign a letter, then I don't think you should take the time to read it. I agree. And I'm thinking about Matthew 18, where a brother or sister needs to come to you to resolve an issue. And if they're not making themselves known, then how are you going to resolve the issue with them? How can you do it? You know, and you should have the courage to go face to face. Matthew 18, 15 is the Bible verse and talk through the issue. And if you really are convinced there's a problem there in this person, then take somebody else with you the second time, but Mm -hmm. have the courage to deal with the problem face to face to face. Jen, I love the story of Henry Ward Beecher. He was a very famous preacher uh, in the 1900s in America. And uh, like all of us preacher types, he would get the letters of criticism. One time he got one, he opened it up and all it said was fool. I mean, he opened up the letter, all it said on it was fool. So the next Sunday he got up and said, I got a letter this week and all it said on it was fool. He said, I have often had letters where people refuse to sign their name, but very seldom have I ever received one where the person just signed their name. Oh, my goodness. Hilarious. (laughs) Well, the truth, again, is if someone can't sign their name, you shouldn't have the time to read that criticism. You are to go deal with your issues face-to-face, not with a text, not with an email, not with a phone call. But face-to-face, because there's something in that face-to-face encounter, when you can read somebody's eyes, you can hear their voice inflection that will allow the healing touch of, hey, you're right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Or you then say, ah, I've got the other side now, I'm wrong, please forgive me, and then the relationship is restored. You know, Jen, you and I have talked a lot about the devil's purpose is to to divide people. That's what his name means, to divide. Folks, don't let him have his heyday. Mm -hmm. Don't let him divide. Divide relationships. When you have a problem, go to your friend. Do not send an anonymous letter. That is what God wants us to learn today. This is so good. Something we say in our household is having brave communication, and it is worth it. Yeah. And also, my son-in-law oftentimes says, and have a short memory. I love that too. Have a short memory. When somebody does you wrong and there's forgiveness, just move on and don't let it continue to bother you because the relationship is what's most important in your life. So good. Thank you so much, David. And everyone, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org if you'd like to receive these written daily 
blast from me in email form. They'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m., a gift from my heart to yours free of charge just to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's HopeCast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for peace in the Middle East.